And you're all very welcome back. Uh, Dr. Tyg McIntyre is in studio. Good morning, Dr. Tyg McIntyre. Yeah, good morning. It's a pleasure to be here. Sports and exercise psychologist. So you're very much on top of this topic, aren't you, of people who, you know, the, doing the healthy levels of exercise and then it becomes something else. And we've, well, well, tell us, has there been an explosion or because anecdotally it feels like people are doing way more gymming than they used to? Well, it's really interesting because actually, and I hate to mention the word COVID, but during COVID lockdown scenarios, we actually went outdoors for exercise. Mm-hmm. So what we call green exercise, physical activity in, in natural spaces. For example, Quilcha numbers for their parks tripled in many parks wow. during lockdown. Yeah. And that was typical in, you know, in North America and across Europe. And what's happened since is the return to the gym although the numbers in green spaces have been maintained. And part of this issue with return to the gym is perhaps motivated by, you know, uh, some, some of the weight we might have put on during uh, COVID times yeah. because, you know, doctors and epidemiologists are aware that non-communicable diseases uh, were, were at higher risk from the lockdown scenarios. So, but if you're a young person and you've been, you know, taken away from your gym and social sports structure, during lockdown, um, going to the gym and trying to get your physique back is probably a good thing. And I think that's, you know, predominantly we're trying to say exercise is good for you. But I'm in perhaps not the majority of uh, researchers who say, actually, there's some caution we should have. Mm. Part of that caution is uh, too much, uh, the wrong type of exercise, only one type of exercise. And this issue, what we call um, exercise addiction. Now, to be clear, exercise addiction isn't something which is, uh, you know, strictly diagnosed. It's based on a behavioural addiction criteria. And what we look at is, you know, in terms of uh, frequency, And but it's really defined by two things. One is, you know, an excessive concern for the routine itself. Okay. Like the pattern. I have to do it in the morning. I have to do it in the evening. Has to be at this time. And, evo- and the second component we're typically looking at is severe withdrawal. So even missing one workout can change somebody's mood drastically. So they're... Punishing themselves for not having done the, the big the big workout. Yeah, and, and look, right now we know there's a lot of emotions come with exercise. You know, everyone feels a degree of stress and anxiety before the exercise, even during it for the first 10 or 15 minutes. Or if it's high intensity exercise, you might feel that throughout the exercise. And we know what's you know, has been colloquially referred to as the exercise high, so positive mood afterwards. Mm-hmm. But there's actually a kind of really key emotional component here. And this, this you know, should resonate with those who exercise, right? We, we might not always feel good when we start it. We should feel good when we, when we finish it. But is it simply stress relief or is it enhancing our quality of life? Because if it's only reducing the kind of anxiety we had beforehand, it's not so good. If it's making us feel better, connect with others, has all multiple psychological benefits, even helps us sleep better. Sleep is a good indicator of, of well-being. Right. Then, then it's good for you. And if it's not, you should, you know, at least have a, have a chat with a professional or uh, a fitness trainer or somebody that can try help you around it. Because, you know, exercise has many, you know, benefits and co-benefits. And that's a really important thing. So if somebody says, I only exercise because of one motive that's really of concern for me and I I, a lot of people say I need to lose weight I'm going to go to the gym yeah and you are straight away thinking oh red flag yeah definitely yellow flag so flags isn't quite good yeah yeah. we might even finish with a green flag today Um, but let's say the yellow flags would be I only have one motive 
And that's a challenge because with the one motive, that means you're, if you don't achieve that goal in the short term, you're, you're going to be frustrated, you're going to you know, start to question and you most likely drop out. Now, so remember with exercise, we've got a lot of people who drop out or don't persist with training. And we've got a minority perhaps who um, regulate their training to, to such a level that it's of concern to us because it impacts on the other areas of their life. Well, it becomes their priority, doesn't it? It's yeah, saying it, I mean, it overtakes their whole life. So I spoke to one of my uh, friends yesterday who's a fitness trainer for 20 years and I said, have you come across this? And he, he, he described scenarios in which it was there. And I think the key point for him was, does it pay the bills? What if it doesn't pay the bills? It shouldn't be the predominant focus of your time. And I said, well, actually, the psychological impact is much more of concern as well. Because, And he understood that because, you know, if this diminishes your relationships, if this diminishes your connection to others, if this leads to what we call comorbid or co-occurring issues around anorexia athletica, which is the sporting version of anorexia nervosa, if it leads to depression or or the experience of other forms of psychological distress. And I would say we have to look at a compassionate eye upon people about this because people don't choose to be exercise addicted. And, and mm-hmm. w- one of the ways that, that can happen is if something traumatic happens in your life, and this is, you know, when people initiate, often initiate exercise on the, on the basis of a li- stressful life event, they find one way of coping. And that one way of coping could be through exercise. Typically what we call in like endurance activity, which has a, a low skill to effort ratio. And in that activity, you can persist at a long time and you can maintain a, a routine around it. Like you can't have the same routine around playing squash or football with your mates. I see. Because yeah. it's dependent upon other people. Yeah. So, But if you're on your own, you can suddenly set your agenda. And that's the... the, the is it... Is it it's a, people who go to the gym multiple times a day, spending several hours there, it becomes their kind of centre of social, their social hub and everything. Well, that's actually not too bad if it's yeah. a social dynamic. Because if you have a social motive, um, a fitness motive, a body image motive... There's more than one motive. Yeah. It's about having multi- multiple motives. Uh, you know, I think that's key to understand. And by the way, Tag, I want to say we will, we'll take listeners' questions of this. There might be parents out there thinking of, of young people in their house, for example. 51551 is their text number. What are those warning signs, by the way, that parents could look out for uh, with, with young men and women? Yeah, I, I, would say, I would say it's about having conversations about how often they go to the gym, if they're doing exercise alone, but actually... Um, about how the athletes view themselves and their own bodies. Mm. If they're constantly looking in the mirror or worried about their weight, uh, weight concerns, you know, should not be something that adolescents should be so concerned about if on, they're on the lower end of BMI. If they're on the higher end of BMI, there's medical advice they can seek. So I think this is important that they understand that, you know, it, it's not important to have a six or eight pack when you're, you know, 14 to 20 something because your yeah. your body's changing so quickly. And you do see young teens, don't you, out running and, and so on, which I'd never seen before. That seems to be a new enough phenomenon. They're, they're, they're younger and younger in gyms and uh, uh, running basically, aren't they? Yeah, and I, I actually I would have more concern actually um, about exercise which is done in isolation because then you don't have the moderating impact of your peer group or of a trainer in the gym of, or of others. So when somebody does, like in endurance sport, it could be, could be running, for example, that, that's often a high risk factor. You know, if somebody tells me they initiated a sport and I go, that's really good, what, what sport is it? And they say running. I'm like, are you running in a group? Are you running outdoors? Are, are you running in nature? Are you uh, doing other forms of exercise? So actually one of the keys here is, the, the parents should be concerned if their kids only do one type of exercise. Okay. 
Because you should have a rainbow of exercise. So blue, which means something close to water, green in natural areas. You should have something which is done in a social setting and something perhaps done individual. So the rainbow of exercise, you know, is key to maintaining you know, a long-term healthy habit. That's an interesting idea. And again, you're kind of around people so they can sort of ask, are you okay if you're if someone is in the gym all the time or doing one particular thing all the time? Um, is there something else going on then in people's lives with those who are suddenly become addicted? Not suddenly, but gradually or... or yeah, yeah and it can, it can be quite sudden, to be fair. I mean, this is... Um, we typically say this associated with uh, high levels of, of, of inexperience of psychological distress or high levels of anxiety. And the other anxiety we're particularly acutely aware about right now is what we call social physique anxiety. How you feel about your body image. So the scrolling on Instagram um, and and TikTok, Mm. this presents body images which, you know, even elite athletes, unless you're Ronaldo, very rarely actually have, you know. uh, And what you have to understand is they're, they're not attainable by most of the population. These are professional athletes who've been doing this for 15 to 20 years with professional advice. So a 14 to 18 year old is, is probably not going to be able to do this solo, which actually comes to something key. Okay. Seek professional advice. You know, when our 16 year olds or 17 year olds want to learn how to drive, we get them lessons, right? Mm. C- connect them with a professional. It's actually a really good idea. That's because, a lovely analogy. You know, it, it, it's, it, we wouldn't let, let them drive the car without any advice. Let's not them let them initiate something which has benefits but some risks. Let's make sure, you know, perhaps they might have to speak to somebody who's got nutritional expertise, uh, somebody who's an expert in uh, physiology or a personal trainer, or speak to their coach. If they're connected with a team sport, again, athletes often map their training onto others. So that becomes a kind of capping of their training, the threshold which they don't go above. We're getting the messages in already. Um, Someone says, I'm really worried about my friend, never heard of anorexia athletica. Do you want to explain that a little bit more for us? Yeah, I mean, this is the issue in, we we learn these lessons from elite sport. In elite sport where people uh, do endurance activity, Mm. the coaches really like people that have low BMI. So, you know, a low percentage body fat, for example. And what actually can happen in certain cases, and this is, been documented over several decades is this can lead to excessive concerns with uh, body image and this leads to an eating disorder anorexia uh, athletica is the one specific to athletes mm-hmm. and you know the the bad news is uh, one of the what we call secondary consequences or tertiary consequences of um, exercise addiction um, is uh, a psychological disorder and that this particular psychological disorder has a high degree of mortality. So it's a huge concern. Wow. Um, uh, anorexia uh, and nervosa and anorexia uh, athletica are most the, most the most profound psychological disorders. Now, they are treatable, but this means you need expertise, you need to seek professional help. Mm. And this is kind of the long-term risk of exercise addiction, is that, you know, we're looking at depression and other, what we call comorbid or co-occurring um, symptomatology. So we're not just talking about, you know, worrying about Johnny or Sarah going to the gym too often. We're worrying about this in the longer term. Mm-hmm. And, and food as well, obsession over food and yeah, nutrition. And, and, and look, actually, you know, there's a there's a obsession over food from a sustainability uh, perspective, which I'm all for at the moment yeah, as well. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, there's there's, there's a, a plantary health uh, a dietary initiative as well. So look, concerns around food um, can manifest or um, can represent the same issue through an obsession, through obsessive concerns with the ritual for food, the ritual for 
um, counting for, calories for, for, and nutrition. Exactly. There's a text in here, <clears throat> sorry, a text in here from a principal of an old boys school. He says, can you ask Tig if you can help with young people, secondary school youngsters spending excessive time in the gym, not getting involved in any outside or team sport. They're spending three to four hours every evening in the gym. It now has become more important than school study and everything else. A huge problem, especially in boys schools. Uh, parents at the wits ends, not against the gym, but when it becomes excessive. This is exactly what you're talking about, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, this, this is part of it. And it's not that everyone there has you know, exercise addiction or is manifesting the symptoms. But the risk is there. The potential for that to become a maladaptive behaviour is really uh, problematic. And this is whereby ensuring that there's a blend of exercise, that there's recovery. So the most important stimulus, and I'm not a physiologist, but stimulus, uh, you know, for change in terms of physiology would be exercise. But recovery is the other side of that. So are they doing a recovery workout? Are they doing a walk uh, in, in the outdoors and nature, which we know has additional benefits to being in the gym? Mm-hmm. Are they even going an exercise bike to do light aerobic training to recover? So this pattern of only doing you know high intensity Same gym thing. work yeah. is it, it's not the full menu and so they're, they're on their they're, own they're missing something yeah um what about you you're concerned about the language around these endurances and these challenges and things aren't you yeah i'm, I'm concerned um with you know this uh i i guess the language we use to describe two, two things one is you know gym-based training right mm. and that language is you know uh you know, n- never give up ever. You know all the signs that we see in our local uh, gyms. If you you frequent them, I do recommend it occasionally. But <laughs> you know the the language we use there is one. It's 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 not forgiving, and that's not how sports should be. In fact, the the definition of an elite athlete is somebody who knows their limits, yeah. and that the language we use for training is often one in which there are no limits. And I think what we have to understand is there are limits, and knowing your limits is actually a really important part of having a long-term healthy exercise habit. Great. Uh, I want to go to Barry Casserly, who's on the phone. Good morning, Barry. Good morning, Oliver. How are you? Not so bad at all. You're a member of the Dublin Bay Running Club and uh, you're you're an exercise nut. Is that the best way to put it? Or uh, are you more than that? Pretty much. I was listening to the show there and uh, yeah. yeah, there's a lot, of, a lot of sense there in what you're saying. Uh, um, do you recognise yourself in any of the descriptions? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, I'm a marathon runner. Um, I trained twice, three times a day. Um, just came back off a hundred mile weeks, two weeks in a row, really? and walking about thirty miles a week. So, like, I think it's there's a lot of sense in what you're saying. Um, and I think like you know, sitting here listening to it, I'm kind of going, oh. But for me, it's about what you're using running for. And like, I have different runs. I use medita- meditation as one of them, and I'd, I'd run and meditate as I'm going, and different pace runs, and going to trail runs, and different type of activities um, and then the walking I, you know I, I leverage and do a lot of studying um, and do like advanced diplomas as I'm walking so like you can mix and blend different aspects of it um, and try and like use running as a different coping mechanism but blend it in with different topics as well and Ty- I find that really works for me you know. Tiger's nodding along to this Tiger. Yeah I mean that's a lovely experience and what you described is more like you know Given your experience, obviously, you know, this is like a, a, an elite kind of way of managing your resource. Like some of your rec- running is recovery. Great to hear some of it's green exercise in the outdoors and some of it in which you're like the walking whereby you probably listen to podcasts and different things. So it, it, it meets different goals. I mean, that's the key thing. Yeah. So what we do in terms of physical activity and exercise should meet different goals. If it does, well, then it can be very beneficial and adaptive to us. Where I have yeah. concerns is when somebody says, you know, 
I do the same thing. It's repetitive. It's the same exact workout multiple times per week and even sometimes multiple times per day. As I say, free, mm-hmm. said earlier, frequency actually isn't in a way to define this. It's actually mm-hmm. about the concern with the ritual. Um, yeah. and, and I look, thank you for sharing because that's a really interesting experience that you have this blend, which is exactly what we're looking for. Yeah. How did you start out running, Barry? Uh, I started about 11 years ago. Um, my mum passed away uh, and I did a marathon for charity. Mm-hmm. And then I just became addicted. So I've ran 179 now, um, about to run the 180th. Um, so I have 200 marathons in sight this year, hopefully. 180 um, marathons? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Right. That's, that's quite yeah, a bit, so, all right. Uh, yeah. And you're heading for the 200. I'm did, heading for the 200 this year, yeah. Did it help yeah. you um, cope with the grief of losing your mum? Massively, and I didn't realise it at the time. Um, I never ran in my life before, and I remember just going out for a 5k run, um, and the benefits that you get from it, like not just from like uh, health-wise, but from mentally, um, it really helped me pick me up. Um, and it gave you sort of focus, drive and determination uh, just to get, you know, I suppose, just get going, really. Um, but what I get from it is, is, like, I have to train twice or three times a day. My head will be all over the place. I get up at five, uh, do my run. Um, I probably do about nine or ten miles, mm-hmm. then do three at lunch, and then do three uh, in the evening. Um, and I, I run for different reasons, like, um, but for me, the main thing is it gives me clarity, um, especially in the morning gives me focus um, and then in the evenings then it's more just a bit of fun right the lunchtime runs a bit of fun as well mm-hmm. um, and then I get out at the weekends and do my marathons meet new people um, and like broaden your perspective on life in general yeah, right? I, and I, I think that's that's the beauty of the marathons and especially with Dublin Bay Running Club and what Jared Copeland and and the team have done there they've given us the opportunity not just to meet new people new perspectives but to to, to to grow from each other and, and that's that's the beauty I never thought I'd be a marathon runner yeah. never thought I'd be a, a good marathon runner right? like I'm actually okay <laughs> um, but wrapping yourself around these people it just gives you gives you this sense of you know accomplishment and belief and more so you're meeting new people that we probably never get to meet before you're not going to meet them in a in a pub or a nightclub or you know you're going to go out and you're going to meet new people and um, and different walks of life as well. That, you, know? that, you, so. you describe it a really rich, you know, quality uh, experience, right? And then thank you. And I'm, I'm glad you found a way to cope with grief. And often people initiate exercise after a stressful life event. And I think you described that. But the connectivity well, think, you have, that's a beautiful thing. And that's exactly what we're trying to avoid, you know. So yeah. I, I love that discussion. And like, I think it, like to be transparent here, I ran for 11 years. I stopped through COVID. had a really, really tough time through COVID. Um, a lot of stress with the, with the job. And, and, and there was an awful lot of stuff. Everyone experienced, right? I'll never not run again. <laughs> <laughs> I think you, can, you can stop calling yourself a running addict because it does sound like it's a healthy regime, doesn't it? Well, it's not. It, it, it can get bad at times. And, that, and, and I know exactly what you're talking about. Like coming off the back of those 200 mile a week, you know, you can get, and I know I was doing 30 miles walking as well. You know, you can get into a stage where you're, you know, you're getting up at five. I was only getting five and a half hours sleep. 
once that starts deteriorating, you uh, know, everything can start coming up. Yeah. So you know so your you boundaries. You need to watch it. You know your you boundaries. You do, and, and sometimes you fail and you don't, you, you don't respect your yeah. boundaries, right? And, 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 and I suppose that's where the coaches come in, right? And that's where, yeah. he, like, the likes of Jair, and mm. he'd be watching you and he'd be looking at your pace and he'd be looking at your sleep and he'd be looking at the different aspects of what's feeding into your running and then giving you coaching advice then of, you know, where you're dropping. And most of the time you know yourself, but it's always nice just to get somebody to kind of reassure you that you're either on the wrong track or you yeah, know, I what think, you need to do. Th- th- I, look, the fact that you have you have access to coaching and a, a really supportive network of friends and, and uh, like that's actually perhaps the opposite of what we're, we're expecting with exercise addiction. And that's, you know, you hit, might hit some of the criteria, but you don't hit them all because this is, you know, can be... Uh, well, it, at different stages as yeah, well, right? Like, that's it, where it I am come. now, right? Yeah. Like, I've made mistakes in the past where, you know, and I remember you said, like, you know, things fall down and, and run and takes over your life. It did when I was in the in the 10 marathons in 10 days and all of that type of stuff. You know, you're you're breaking yourself to a point where... Like, I was physically sick after those 10 marathons in 10 days. I had lost, like, an incredible amount of weight. I wasn't looking after myself through them. And then from that, like, it does deteriorate. You know, your job might suffer because you're tired. You know, you're Mm -hmm. getting only five hours sleep. That starts dropping, you know, at, at times your relationship. You, you have the sort down. of um, the, the, the come down from it, but you're, you you know where the boundaries are, Barry. That's the most important thing. Listen, thanks a million yeah. for joining us this morning for the Dublin no Bay Run and enjoy your marathons towards 200 in the healthiest way possible. And Dr. Ty McIntyre, thanks very much for your uh, joining us as well. You've given us plenty to think about there. And uh, again, it's all about the healthy when it becomes obsessive and into addiction. I, I think you've explained it extremely well. 51551, that's the text back after this.